1: It's time to lace up those boots, it's time to tighten the shorts, put down the lager, switch to the water, rub some horse placenta all over your body, it's preseason, and we're getting back into shape. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter Yankee Gunner. It feels good to be behind the microphone and the only man who was willing and able and ready to be in shape, to be committed and dedicated to the hard work that is needed to be done. That's right. Our Mesedozoal Tim, he's not here. Our Alexander Lacazette, our Yang Paul, Scott—they're not here. But that hard worker, that grafter in the midfield—that—that that, wait, we don't have one of those. But we have a Clive. He's here. Clive is on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello,
2: hello.
1: I'll start with call a simple me, um... yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. You can call me Vieira. I like Vieira. Do you know what I mean? He's my main man. He's a, he is the best player in our history. So Perhaps a Torreira?
1: Could you be a Torreira?
2: Um, or are you too big for that? I'm, I'm a little bit bigger than him. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I need to just start the pot off with a very simple question, and it's one that you should find uh, no problem answering. Is it indeed coming home? It's coming home.
2: It's coming home? And I'm, I'm drinking the wine already. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming it's well, coming home to the semifinals, at least. <laughs> Maybe even the final.
1: I mean, I have to and, admit, uh, look, I don't expect much from the U.S. team when it comes to a World Cup or, indeed, football whatsoever, but good Lord of all the years not to make it to a World Cup when one half of the draw is wide open, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get these moments don't you, every now and again, and it's... Um, it feels good, and it, even if they lost the other day, there's been a there's been a massive success about English football. I'm not sure we're going to talk about it, but what Southgate's done is, I think, it's incredibly interesting.
1: Well, I do want to ask you something no. I, I, just quickly, and you can get back to Southgate. But how do you? Because I would love to root for England. I mean, I don't have any ill will towards uh, the the nation that birthed the nation that we just celebrated uh, our independence from. You, but you know, no hard feelings, right? But um, yeah. I. I cannot cheer a Harry Kane goal, a Delhi Alley goal. I cannot get excited for these players that I find uh, so so o- odious during the season. I mean, how do you put that to one side when they pull on the England shirt?
2: It's, it's, it's actually slightly a bit bigger than that, actually, and it, it's not easy watching. I, I can do it for most players. I just can't do it for Eric Dyer. I just, I just can't quite do it because that's purely on his football ability. But part of what Southgate has done is he's really sort of. Connected the team back to everybody. And if you look at the team and you look at its sort of um, diversity within the group, there, there was a period in my in my young life that to support England, you need to be a certain type of English person. And this team has, been, has actually shown that actually there are different types of Englishness. There are different types of people that want to support England. And that's what's actually happening, you know, and it's really fantastic to see a team that's primarily liked. Even a couple of the Spurs boys are liked. I mean, if you're... Trippier, for example, has been really impressive. You know, and um, I wouldn't have... I didn't like him before. I didn't really notice him, but you look at his spirit and you look at what he's he's achieving with his ability and how he's maximising himself and how he's become a fundamental part of our set-pieces and our set-piece play. He's just really achieving something when i look and i see that i think you know what despite the fact you play for that lot of the road fair play to you. at least you're producing when it counts
1: yeah i i mean i i have to admit i am envious uh, of the run that it looks like is opening up for england and and certainly if ever you're going to make it to a final this would certainly seem like the year to do it um i mean are you feeling pretty good about the sweden matchup
2: well, I always look at the logistics, right, and how much drink I can have on the day. And on Saturday... That is the key three point o'clock, is. Mm-hmm. It's a three o'clock UK time kickoff, right? It's going to be 20, 28 degrees, right? It's going to be roasting. And everybody, I reckon, reckon north of 30 million people going to be watching this game. And it's going to be massive. And if they win, there's going to be carnage all over the UK. But without a doubt, it's going to be... An amazing day and so that's where the hope lies right so it's gonna to be a tough game it's gonna be quite a um you know maybe a a turgid game but i just think england have got one big performance in them they haven't played well yet if i'm really honest maybe the tunisia game for 30 minutes um Panama was like playing the dog and duck that was too easy for him and um and obviously belgium strategic loss and the other day, I thought it was probably the best overall performance because of the, the nature of the game. So they have got a good game in them where they really perform and maybe do some stuff in open play that I haven't done so far yet. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: I will have you know that Panama can be turned into a difficult fixture if you're really committed to it. We uh, we managed it twice in qualifying. <laughs> How did um, you do that? Don't don't get me started. <laughs> uh, but I, I guess you know the the question I have then is. Can England – I mean, I realize that there's a lot of euphoria. I realize there's a lot of momentum. And we'll get on to the Arsenal stuff in a minute. But I, I, this is the one thing that I still look at England and I, I just can't figure out. Can you really make it through a tournament without a midfield? Because it is, it is not a great midfield, yeah. is it?
2: It's, you remember when we used to have to shaka one-man midfield and everyone else ran off?
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, it, that's it, your Henderson it, Henderson version?
2: <laughs> yeah, Henderson is the shaka, but Henderson can't pass the – <laughs> Well, yards. that's the problem. <laughs> so he so without passing. He, He's doing it on pure running ability, trying to cover all the spaces where everyone else can't get to. And he holds them up until the other people refill. And so it's a, it's a strange sort of system. that They're playing like almost three five two, But the two eights in centre mid are really running beyond the two forwards. And the two forwards are coming back in. So it's almost like they're switching. But what we're not doing, we're just not carrying the ball in the centre of the pitch. We're not building up play centrally. Yeah. So we're building up in wide areas, but we're not really getting the ball to Kane. I read something like he's only had like seventy-seven passes in all the games that he's played so far. I mean, he's, we're just not getting the ball to him. He scored. He scored his goals about nine shots, I think. And so he's he's, he's it's it's. These numbers can't continue. Right? No, I'm well, just, uh,
1: they can against Sweden, but when you come up against the likes of Rakitic and Modric in, in Croatia, if if that indeed comes to pass, that could be where you really have a problem.
2: Yeah, he's got so far. This is where Southgate; needs he's been quite good in selections. You know, I questioned Harry Maguire before the tournament. I thought maybe Cahill should play, well, that's been proven wrong. Harry Maguire has been fantastic. Um, but the, I think this game needs somebody to carry the ball in a couple of carriers you need his cheeks maybe to play this game instead of Ali who's who can't carry the ball and he's not really getting close to Kane to warrant his position so I would like to see someone carry the ball in there and maybe just a freshening up um, Rashford to play but it wouldn't bother me Sterling plays because I think he's been underutilised Yeah, and I, def, I definitely think Danny Rose should definitely play on the left back so.
1: Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, this England team could be the weird case where they don't play well all through the tournament, they they eke out the Sweden match, and then against the better teams they might face in the semifinal, and dare I say it, a final, they could benefit from playing without the ball. I think there's the talent to play on the counter, whether you want to start a Vardy or a Rashford, and certainly Sterling yeah. can do it, and you know Kane can do it to a certain extent, but it, it may benefit England to defend deep and counter, although it, it didn't really look like that at the end of the Columbia game, to be fair, but... Uh, You know, I think they were just holding on for dear life at that point. But coming up against the bigger sides may allow England to play without the ball more. And, And for a team with no midfield, that might suit them, huh?
2: It might do. I think it's it's quite interesting. Flipping it to Arsenal a little bit, you know, when we talk about our players, we talk about how they play and their technique and their flow. And it's a bit of almost like a beauty contest when you you see some of our players play. They do some things beautifully. Not if we sign (laughs) Torreira, and other things not so beautifully. And and sometimes, you know, in the World Cup, you, you see trends, right? And so, and I think when you get international teams that come together, maybe not so often, they have to focus a lot more on those fundamentals that you hear me talking about. And if there's a trend that's coming out of this World Cup, it's about the hard-working teams, the teams that have got a good team spirit, the teams that are positionally adept, know their roles. And Sweden and England are, are two good examples of that. And Russia's another example of that. And the beauty contest teams, like Spain, they're at home, right? Germany, they're at home. Germany went to play at a slow pace, the other team said, no, nah, we're not having that. We're going to run you about. We're going to make you work for your money. We're going to make you work. And they ran them backwards continually. Mexico did it to them. They counter-attacked them. So I think this is World Cup. There's a theme coming out and linking to where we need to go next year. It's the basis of football. Hard work. Fundamentals. Win your duels. Know your position. Know your role. And those teams that are most prepared that have really looked after their controllables are the ones that are progressive.
1: Yeah, well, speaking of progressive, I want to turn to politics for a minute, and I really hate to do this on this podcast, but I feel we need to. Um, There's been a lot of talk about the NHS. Uh, It is obviously a treasured institution by a lot of people in England, but I am a little Mm -hmm. nervous. And so I just want to ask you, and and then we'll get off the politics, do you think the NHS can survive the influx of babies in April of next year if England wins the world? (laughs) Cup?
2: I don't know, but um, there'll be none in my house, mate. Because I'll be so I'll be I'll, I'll be unconscious. So you,
1: <laughs> you know, yeah, it's pretty hard. Pretty hard for you to, to make a baby that way. I thought you were going to get in the state of your tubes and and you know whether that whether they still function. And I don't I don't need that information. And I appreciate you not sharing it. um But you've you've done your work in that department already. So congrats on that. uh Yeah, moving on. So before we get to Arsenal, let's talk transfers and. I mean, I guess this will pertain to Arsenal on some level. Cristiano Ronaldo is rumored to be going to Juventus. Now, mm. I mean, it, it seems insane, and I still am struggling to believe it, but there's so much smoke and, and nearly fire, and it could be announced any time, hell, even before this podcast is released. In the event that Ronaldo does move to Juventus, let's just play around with some hypotheticals in terms of the dominoes that could start to fall here. How do you see the ripple effect impacting sort of all the clubs and all the big players and is it possible that even with the new deal that a Ronaldo move to Juventus could put Kane squarely in the, in the sights for them to, to make a big bid for him this summer?
2: It's quite interesting that Kane got his contract just before, just before the World Cup in case he um, did well which he's done and um, I mean, you know, if, let's, let's flip it to Spurs for a second. The value of their squad is increasing by the hour. Right, so with players like Trippier, with yeah, players Trippier, yeah. like, mm-hmm. like Davison Sanchez, who had a great
1: game against England. I don't know about Deli Alley so much, I think he's been
2: just OK. Deli Alley, yeah, uh, he's not quite done it, but he's English, right? So that's 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 80 million there straight away. Um, they've got Eriksen as well, who's you know, again, is at a good age and contract is is long. He if he went to Barcelona, that's that's north of 80 million again. And so they've got a very high value in their squad, and they build their value really, really well. And then you think about Ronaldo, you think about the fact that I think Real Madrid, I think would have bought him for $80 million how many years ago, and he's won them five Champions Leagues, wherever it is. <laughs> Basically, they might make a profit on him after all the money he's made them. So um, I think what You could argue that's here, been a
1: decent return on investment.
2: You could just a touch, right? It made them a few quid, right? So um, the rumours that I've heard is that... Um, it's hopefully, be done on Saturday for Juventus. So you have the seventh day of the seventh month, and have CR7 arrive. That's why. Can we just TV stop tonight. just
1: for a second, though, Clive, and laugh hysterically <laughs> at the fact that if United don't buy Alexis and give him the seven, they're probably squarely in line to be getting Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah. and instead they've wow. got a a piano playing Chilean who's probably in severe decline.
2: He is, and basically he mirrors what Rashford and Martial can do for them. And they spend they're him five hundred thousand pound a week. So good luck with that. But um, yeah, the, the rumours are that he Higuain may go to Chelsea. That would be a domino that falls to make room for him.
1: Does that mean Morata um, moves on?
2: A Morata could move potentially. Who's not happy there? So he could end. He could end up going back to Spain or back into Italy somewhere. Um, and it also could mean that. Um, it also could mean that Kane could be under threat, but actually the the rumour is Neymar going to Real Madrid, and yeah. this is going to help them pay for that. right? So um, I don't see Kane leaving Spurs, if I'm honest with you. He's a homeboy, humble lad.
1: New stadium, he, they've got to fill that up.
2: New stadium, he wants to lead them out. He wants to be there on that new stadium. I think the next season, depending on how the, the first year new stadium goes, is when Tottenham's squad is going to be really tested but you can see they're starting to renegotiate their contracts now because they've got higher revenue. So Levy's not full. He kept them low in the old stadium, kept them low while they are at Wembley. New stadium, new revenues, guaranteed season ticket money. I'm now going to up your contracts and see how we go.
1: So what are some of the other dominoes that fall? I'll just let you go here for a while. Speculate with me. So Neymar moves, Ronaldo moves, Higuain moves. I mean, is this kind of – the Ozil summer when he fell in our lap, there were a lot of moves in at Real Madrid that that wound up making that a possibility. I think the James Rodriguez move. How how could this shake out where it impacts us, and maybe just you know generally moves that that could be relevant to us?
2: Well, I'm I'm not sure if there's if there's anything that could happen. The, the old Ben, you know, the old Benzema rumors they seem to be quiet. I don't think we need that sort of player. The defensive players are way too far away from us. I, I just don't see anything falling out of this. You know, I don't see. I think it's just going to be a top table type movement. I think Chelsea might benefit a little bit and Spurs could benefit in a year or so when Benzema runs out of um, of gas and I think Kane could, you know, depending if he if he does get itchy feet, there's only one place he's going to go and that potentially could be if the manager goes there. That could be the only thing that could take him away. Pochettino goes there. I think he goes there with Kane in his pocket. So, um, so that could be interesting. But in the near term, I don't see anything... Coming Arsenal's way, I don't see that affecting Arsenal. What do you see? What do you um,
1: think? Yeah, I, obviously you could you could go into the land of craziness and say, well, if they're getting rid of Ronaldo, they're bringing in Neymar. Maybe they turn over the whole front line. Maybe they sell a Gareth Bale. I mean, do we do we need a Gareth? Bale? Everybody could use a Gareth Bale, but he's an injury risk. He's getting up there. He would be ridiculously expensive on a huge wage, and it's an area of the pitch that you could argue, isn't the priority. I mean, we need a true wide player. So, I, you know, I don't know that there are any dominoes that fall there that make a huge difference for us. Um, if Neymar is leaving PSG, then I don't see how in the world Usman Dembele could be leaving. I know there was a rumor that he might go out on loan or something, but that just that doesn't feel plausible if Neymar leaves. So, yeah, yeah. I have to agree. I don't see how it influences us necessarily, but... I mean, there is one one transfer that's still dragging on a little bit. I mean, are you feeling pretty good that we're going to get the Torreira deal across the line?
2: Well, I've been reading all my Twitter ITKs, and they've told me it's happening, right? So I'm I'm, I'm sleeping good. But, um, yeah, beyond that, there's there's lots of solid information about the father saying certain things. And, um, yeah, I think it's done. I just think it's a matter of timing, courtesy okay. to the fact that you're growing the World Cup. And um, and and let's be honest, the performances he's putting in is just making everyone even more scared now. Yeah, the fact that actually,
1: well, he's getting noticed, right? I mean, that's the worry. As you go to the World Cup, you, you you play even reasonably well for a team that goes deep, and suddenly there are teams looking at him that maybe weren't before. Yeah, but the thing is, right?
2: When you see a player that plays properly, that knows where to stand, knows his role, knows when to engage knows when to drop in and cover, can travel with the ball, can re- have recovery speed, can drive forward with the ball. When you see that player and you know we've got him, everyone's excited. So what does that tell you about what we've been looking at for the last two, three years? But We just haven't had those attributes in our midfield. Yet we've been trying to say that these, these players work. Well, they, they don't work. It won't work to the highest level unless you have people that can do those jobs. And and when we see it, we know it. And I think I'm hopeful for next year that the, the rebuild isn't finished. And we get to see more of those key skills in our midfield. And when we do, we are going to compete. Yeah. It's as simple as that. We are going to really compete. Because at the top end of the pitch, we've got some real special talent that don't always get a chance to show because we're fighting from 1-0 down and the game changes, right? So, um, so, yeah, we need to focus on the center of the pitch and obviously rebuild the defense.
1: Yeah, well, the thing that interests me about uh, Lucas Torreira is, I mean, I, obviously I've been watching him a lot in the World Cup. I mean, he didn't start every game, but he did start against Portugal. He only completed 21 passes. I mean, 21 of 24. So, you know, that's yeah. a great success rate. But what really impressed me is how he just dropped in and shielded the two center backs and how he cleaned up everything and how he arrived in the box to to uh, break up crosses and yeah, how alert and aware he was defensively. And I actually thought yep. he looked a little bit nervous on the ball. I thought he played... A decent number of conservative passes, and he was he was hitting some of those passes a little too gently. You know the way you do sometimes. I think when the occasion is very big, and look, let's be honest, he's a young player, and he's he's in knockout rounds of the World Cup, so I, I cut him some slack. But yeah, he definitely had what Shaka doesn't—that ability to drop in, track a man, you know, be between the man and the ball, you know, get goal side, get into the right positions, and then you watch Shaka by comparison against uh, against Sweden. And you see him getting ghosted past and bypassed when, you know, he puts a foot in the ground and he's he's off balance. And I think he was bypassed for, for one of Sweden's goals. And, yeah. and you know, again, this is not to pick on Shaka. It's to say that Torreira has the qualities to play that deepest role more effectively, I think. And I, I think his quality on the ball is certainly there from what I've read. But off the ball defensively, that's really where Shaka lacks quality is is what he does off the ball and and Torreira certainly has it so I think he would be a great addition and maybe a great compliment because Shaka can play 100 passes in a game at 90% and he can play the intermediate value build-up passes but off the ball he's a liability and and Torreira clearly without having the ball at his feet can influence a game.
2: Yeah absolutely and so I I I always believe when a player walks on a football pitch they walk on pitch with a certain psychology right they -hmm. walk on with their primary skills in their head so you can see what Torreira's primary skill is we just described it beautifully we can all see it he knows his role he knows he can smell danger but he can also play He can also move off the spot so that's great right so but he's he's not thinking 100 passes when Shaka goes on the pitch he's thinking right you lot give me the ball Give me the ball. I'll get us going. I'll set the rhythm. I'll set the passing. I can go long. I can go short. I've got to pace of pass. Okay, I'm six foot two. So you put me in the basis team. So I'll do my best to defend. But it's not natural for me. But I'll do my best. I'll work hard. But what is natural for me is to run support lines and move that ball quickly and make good passing decisions. And players know he's comfortable on the ball because they give him the ball. Right? They want to give that player the ball because good things can happen once he gets it at his feet. Now, what we've done with Shaka, we've asked him to do everything from the baseline midfield. Be that defensive player. And for some people, because he doesn't do that, he's not a good player. And for other people that can see the offensive side of his game and the playmaking side of his game and just recognize he's doing that from a deeper position, Really, then comes to how we surround him to make sure we protect him defensively. And what Switzerland do, they use Barami, who's a very leggy, destructive player, who just runs around and then gives Shaka the ball. They used to use Zachariah, but Barami took him out of the squad. He's very similar, six foot two, Vieira looking midfielder, runs around a lot, gives Shaka the ball. And so, what we have in Torero, I think it is going to be complimentary. We have a Run around a lot, very agile, very cante like sprinter to the ball who can cover, he can play, but he, he'll, he's going to give Shaka the ball. So I said mean, I a few tweets tonight, I said we were coming on, and I said, yeah, you know, what do you want to talk about? And a lot of people are talking about the very thing we talk about now, Elliot, is do we see Torreira taking Shaka's role or do we see him as complimentary? And I think they're going to be complimentary.
1: I would say this. I think a Torreira, Shaka, Ramsey midfield sounds pretty balanced to me. It has a, a long-range, intermediate-value passer who can sort of quarterback from deep. It has that sort of pit bull, uh, all-action, deepest central midfielder who can carry the ball, who has a dribble on him, who can you know yeah. ad- advance the ball with it at his feet and and be more press-resistant than someone like Shaka, and can shield the back the back four. Um, and then you have someone in Ramsey who can run the entire length of the pitch but also link up in the attack and be just as effective in the final third. What it means for Ozil is he may have the number 10 on his shirt. I don't think he could play the number 10 on the pitch. And that is that is the question. Can you move Ozil out to one of those wide forward positions? Do you have a front line that is Aubameyang, Ozil, and Lacazette or Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan, and Ozil, and Lacazette is a rotational option? I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I mean... I think what is fascinating is that Mesut Ozil is probably the best number 10 in the world in terms of the traditional number 10 role, but very, very few teams that are really, really good play with a traditional number 10 anymore. Um, and and so, you know, how do you take a guy who is the best at a role that doesn't really exist anymore at the top level and get the exactly. most out of him? And that, that's really a good question. Well, I say it's a good question because I asked it, of course, but what do you think?
2: It's a great question. And and as Tim's not here, I'm now going to speak just like him because he's just done a blog today on Ozil called The Imperfect Ten. And I just had a brief read of it. it
1: Even when he's not on the pod, we're referencing, (laughs) oh, well, I've just written a blog about this. Oh, we're talking about Clive's testicles. I've just written a blog about this. (laughs) So
2: basically, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I've said for a long time. The, the ten doesn't really exist anymore. You got to ha- you got to bring some either goal scoring or you have got to bring some pressing in the modern game now. So I think you know, Ozil off to side or Erzoloff in, in or Ramsey, and you know, it's another option because I was a big fan of the sort of 2015 team, with with the uh, you know, with Coquelin and Kozola, with Ramsey just tucked in on the right, and I was a big fan of that with you know with, with Ozil and uh, Alexis and Theo switching between centre forward and left side. I really liked the balance of that team, and and people kept saying to me, "You can't have Ramsey playing off the right," but I, I liked it, and because I, I just felt he was freer there, he could swap reversal. It was almost like a, it was almost like a four-two-two-two, two, two. you know, it was, it was that mm-hmm. sort of formation, yeah. and I quite liked it. Two players looking after the deeper part of the pitch, two players, two attacking midfielders, and two forward switching, and then when we were off the ball. We sort of went to a four-one-four-one off the ball, defended that way. I really like that team, and I would I wouldn't mind seeing a version of that team reappear this year because I think the players we have the players for it. And again, people keep trying to say, you know, how can we fit this player? How can we fit that player in? I don't care about that, mate. I just want to see the players see the system we're going to play. And fight for that shirt and see who comes out on top. Regardless of contracts, regardless of status, let's just hope that the ones that are performing right do the roles right. Wherever they are, we're just making assumptions. They're the ones that get picked.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing we can assume, one thing that I think has been an unfortunate hallmark of late period arson was just poor spacing across the pitch. Um, in mm-hmm. particular, between the midfield and the defense and just the acres of green grass in the center of the pitch behind our central midfield that was expected to be covered mostly by one guy. Um, And in the case of Shaka, certainly not the guy to be doing that. I I think we can expect that under Emre, there will be more even spacing across the pitch, that we won't see huge areas of the pitch exposed that way. Uh, Now, I mean, he he may employ a pressing system that does leave some of that exposure, but that's another story. So I think... The attributes of the players will be different in a different system, right? I mean, based on what they're asked to do, we may have very different views of them, and I think that is no more evident than it will be at central defense. I think every central defender at Arsenal, uh, who still is able-bodied, so obviously you know not Koscielny at the moment, uh, has to almost be given a free pass for reevaluation working yeah. in a system that may be a little more coherent defensively. And that leads to the signings we have made, uh, Leno and Socrates. So we already opined on Lick Steiner, I think, on a previous pod. I-, I think the sort of sensible viewpoint is that he is a backup right back there to educate Bellerin at some level and also just give Bellerin the chance to occasionally not play a game, which was not available to him last season. So certainly sensible. I have more concerns about Socrates and Leno, so I'm curious to get your opinion. Let's start with Socrates. Uh, the website going big... On the uh, this is Sparta angle with all of their uh, social media content, but
3: yeah.
1: um, you know, doing some reading on him, he is coming off a, a pretty rough season at Dortmund. Um, he is thirty. He is a player who has been very good down the years, uh, but I've read some things about him that that definitely give me pause for concern. How do you feel about the signing? And do you think he is going to step right in and be a leader of the central defense? Do you think he's going to have to fight for his place? How do you think he'll be utilized? And what are your expectations?
2: It's one that slightly worries me, and because I never thought we needed Mustafi. I thought he was too small, not dominant enough, not quick enough. Socrates is like a slightly bigger, more dominant version of Mustafi. If you look at some of the YouTube highlights, so many right-footed, slight tackles in the right side of, of defence, covering a full-back that's not there. Right? And he's, But where he does seem to be quite good at, he's actually quite a good dribbler. He seems better on the ball. He can carry the ball, so he can carry the ball out. He seems heavier, more robust in the tackle, more no-nonsense. So I think he's going to have a, a more confidence in his ability to win duels. And what's going to happen there is I, I feel that because he's got more confidence in his physicality, he won't be making rash decisions. I always felt that Mustafi wasn't quite physical enough, and so he felt he had to make quick decisions. When quick decisions work, you have a great game. When quick decisions don't work, they're called rash decisions. Right? And there were too many rash decisions from him. And I, and I feel that's lack of physical confidence. Right, So um, so I think Socrates will have more of that. People say he's not quick. Well, he's, he's as quick, if not a bit quicker than, than Mustafi. So I think basically Socrates was a sign that we should have made before we bought, instead we, we bought Mustafi. That's what we should have done. But now we're buying him two, three years later. So um I'm more listening to him. And I know we're all desperate for information and I'm not sure if you're gonna touch it, but there's a number of training videos coming out. Yeah, we'll definitely come to that. Yep. Uh, yeah. And we're and basically I'm just looking at him and I'm looking at, and I'm listening to him actually. And I think where we could really see something from him is he definitely seems like somebody who's got the leadership thing and he's a talker and we need that he's a positive talker we definitely need that and um we need someone that really cares about defending so i'm a i'm not i'm not you know screaming from the rooftops but i am sort of hopeful he's going to bring an ingredient that we lack which is a bit of defensive leadership we've had good defenders but we've had no leadership back there
1: yeah and look i am willing to give him a pass for his you quote, poor season that he had for Dortmund because Dortmund had a poor season. They had a coaching fiasco. They had a lot of problems. And it yeah. seems like it was a situation where it was going to be hard for anyone to thrive, and he certainly did not thrive in it. Um, you know, and I think that's true of a lot of Arsenal players. So if we're going to give the Arsenal players the pass, we certainly should give Socrates a pass. I I think my worry comes from the fact that he is described as being a very front-footed defender, so, as you touched on, sort of like Mustafi. And I don't think you can have two center backs whose instinct both of their instincts is to attack. I think one of them has to be willing to sit. One of them has to be willing to ride the challenge. One of them has to be willing to, you know, position themselves to defend the space, but both of them are guys that want to defend the man in the ball. And that, that I think could be cause for a problem. I've, I've heard it described that Socrates can get bypassed when he steps up, uh, sort of rashly. And we certainly know Mustafi can. So that's a bit of a worry, but I just can't help but think that our central defensive situation is not currently built for a back four and that only a back three allows us to play a center back group that makes sense in terms of their qualities. Having said that, like I said, new manager, new situation, totally willing to give them all a pass. I think my worry with Socrates is just that he is not one for the future future. I mean, he is, he is 30. Now center backs can play a little longer into their career and be effective a little longer into their career. But, I'm curious if this means that we really see holding and Chambers as the future uh, in central defense, because I am skeptical that Lauren Koscielny will play this season at all. I mean, a, an Achilles tear can be a career ending injury uh, and certainly for people later in their career. Um, but we'll see, you know, fingers crossed that he does make a comeback and he can participate as far as Leno. Again, another one that's a little bit of a head scratcher. It certainly to me does not look like he's brought in to be the starter. Check got the number one shirt. I assume he will start the season as our goalkeeper. Talk me out of this, Clive. But the description of Leno what I've read. Just the description, the statistics, everything I've read, mm-hmm. just to me aligns with Almunia version two. So talk me out of that.
2: <laughs> no, you can't, you can't say that. I'm just uh, saying what uh, I've read.
1: I, I, I would not I if he was sitting in this room with me right now, um, I, you know, I have, I would not recognize him. So I, I am not going to pretend I have any information beyond what I've read other people say about him.
2: Okay, well natural natural thing is when we make a sign and you want to be positive about it. so so I want to see the positive signs, and he's been a, he's been a goalkeeper in, in the first scene since he was nineteen, which is really positive, much like Chesney started young. That means you've got a young super talent But got goalkeepers don't often arrive at that level at that age. They tend to get farmed out to lower league clubs for much longer. So he got into the first scene quite young. That tells you he's got something. Um, I think he's probably, he's learned his trade in the spotlight of the first team. And I think maybe this move has come along at the right time. He's at an age where he feels ready. He's at an age where he needs to find that elite club where he, he plays the core part of his career in. I think 26 is a great age for a goalkeeper to get to buy somebody. When you look at Martinez, for example, I think he's 25. I think, if you sort of you know project forward in a year's time, that could be our number one and number two. They're similar age, you know, similar similar sort of a similar sort of growth into the first team level. And I think Martez who's not repaid many first team games but has the attributes to be a very good goalkeeper and I think he's at least tall enough some... to be a
1: goalkeeper that's step in the right direction yeah <laughs> to
2: compete with somebody to a similar age I think that's good you can you get a bit of spirit going you get some you get a little bit of kindred going there I think that'll be good I think Peter Cech's role this year will will definitely be I think I think Lena will end up number one but there's no rush we will see what happens we've got two very good goalkeepers just because he got the squad number doesn't mean anything right it's, it, it just means, you know, he didn't have number one and he was the number one last year, Czech. was. So I think just how you utilise an experienced goalkeeper like Czech to bring Leno into the environment to help him and to help Martis as well. And uh, I think, let's see what was happening in a year's time because the young goalkeeper, I know he's very inexperienced, Macy. I, I'm, I'm a fan of him. I, always, I saw him once live and I really, I really like him. He's very young. But um, he needs to get out on loan and play some first-team minutes this season. And maybe Martinez stays and, and be more of a support within the club. So, um, so yeah, that's my sort of three. And Spina obviously moves out. But, yeah, I'm I'm not as negative on this one, mate. I think he's got real potential. And um, it's interesting, interesting to see when we get to see him live.
1: Yeah, I can certainly tell you that what would have been the most hilarious outcome in the history of football is David Ospina knocking England out of the World Cup. That... <laughs> That would have been a tough, a bit of Well, well. It's cla-
2: isn't it classic Ospina? He makes a fantastic save to his left. And then, let's be honest, but Eric Dyer's penalty was there to be saved.
3: Yeah.
2: And he just he didn't execute it. And that is classic Ospina. He's a very good goalkeeper that's just not quite good enough.
1: Well,. And that's the truth so here's me. my worry. I mean, the only reason I'm really worried about Leno is the only thing I've read that really worries me is that he has the big mistake in him, that he made a lot of big mistakes, that he doesn't necessarily command his area well. But the thing that they say to his credit is he will make the spectacular save. And, you know, for me, I, I'm a little different mindset when it comes to keepers. Like, yeah, if you can get a David De Gea who literally moves you four places up the table, great. But all I want from the keeper is I don't want the keeper to lose you the game. I don't want you to look back if the keeper doesn't make any extraordinary saves, but doesn't make any huge errors, I'm okay with that. I just want to be able to look back at the game and the goals we conceded weren't a keeper error and you know the saves he made are saves you'd expect him to make and I'm fine. And so you know it's great if Leno saves a goal that ordinary any other keeper would have let in, but what I really can't stomach is the we had the three points in the bag, but he let one go through, you know, through his hands or, you know, he dropped one into his goal. And so I you know, yeah. I worry about that. And after watching Almunia, who in his own right was a decent shot stopper, make so many errors and look, you know, flap at so many so many crosses, I can't go back to that. I have PTSD, I cannot go back to that experience.
2: Yeah, a lot of it's decision making, right? So we watched Chesney in the World Cup in the first game, he came charging out of his box and I was let down by a pass back. But once he didn't get there, he was walked around and goal. And it, it, you could say if you wanted to, it, it was an error. And we, we, we're we used to that. We're used to the big sort of Arsenal goalkeeper come rushing out, give a penalty away against Bayern Munich type error. And I think you get good decision making as you get older. And so the command thing can happen at various times. You talk about David De Gea if you arrived at the World Cup and you saw David De Gea, you wouldn't think he's potentially be the best goalkeeper in the world.
1: No, certainly he not. Looked, Long may it continue.
2: <laughs> he looked absolutely bereft of any confidence. Like he just needed a holiday. He didn't need the World Cup. It was just one tournament too many. He barely made a save in the whole tournament and in, in the end, Spain went out. When that guy's on form he's saving almost all those penalties right he's unbeatable and he just shows you about state of mind and confidence and having your mind right it's so important to reaching high performance so yeah i'm I'm prepared to give the guy a break let's see what happens I'm, i'm i'm so excited about um the new season, not just because of the new players and the new coaches,
1: but I can't wait for Emre. I'm all the way on board now. I've gone from being worried when it was first announced to being super excited for him. And I mean, it, it just the change. I mean, you can see the excitement on Twitter. Like everybody's nervous to say anything, even remotely, uh, pessimistic because everybody's so excited for change. And it it sort of makes you realize how long overdue it was, whether you were an AKB, you know, a a WOB, or whatever the hell you were, you know, just a human being who likes Arsenal. Um, The positivity and optimism surrounding the club right now, I think, is driven by the excitement for change. But let me ask you something. It is being... So I think things are being framed right now, Clive, in a way that is maybe a little disingenuous. There's a suggestion that, holy cow, things are already so different. You know, Look at the training videos on social media. Look at the three signings we've made. And yet I look, and at this time last season, we had signed a 50 million pound striker, and there were a dozen training videos on Arsenal Twitter. I mean, are we overreaching... In our attempt to see to see change everywhere, to, to see uh, hope springing eternal, because we're desperate for it, or is it really as big a change as, as we think?
2: may that's a great question. I was just thinking that myself. I mean, there's there's situations there's a bit on the on the training videos where the players are drinking water and someone said to me, I never saw that with Wenger giving the players water. Uh,
1: yeah, he probably, I mean, he's only known for totally transforming like hydration and nutrition and scientific. I mean, I mean we are writing a lot of revisionist history, you know. <laughs> we are, we I'm are. a little worried. About, the I, there, ones, there was a, the there was one a one picture is. of a bold <laughs> smiling next to Emre and I saw someone tweet, never seen bold smiling in a training picture before. I mean, it, it's, exactly. a bit, it's a bit over I the top. I've got another is one is for not?
2: you. i got another one for you. So the players turn up and they shake the coach's hands. And someone said, I've never seen Wenger shake anyone's hand. And I'm thinking I've seen it a thousand times. In every professional club, the first thing you do when you arrive at training is shake the coach's hand. Across all different levels, academy levels, etc. It just shows you how positive everyone is. They're almost overly positive. But I'm afraid Emery's going to have to solve world hunger and world peace and beat Man City and Chelsea on the same day. To, to actually reach everyone's expectations, which is a real worry because he's just a human being. He's a new human being, but we all want him to succeed so much. That we're almost wishing it to existence, oh. and I and just with worry a squad that just easy. finished
1: sixth, right? I mean, let, let's not forget, <laughs> we just finished sixth. We've signed a 30-year-old center back, a backup keeper, and a backup right back. So while I'm super, super excited, and I think we have a good squad, the worry with being overly optimistic right now and seeing it as a whole new dawn is if it is a little rough at the outset, that could swing, that could that could have overcompensate towards the the pessimism too quickly, couldn't it?
2: It could do. I think it's interesting how the club are managing this change. You know, I'm really interested in that. And and uh, there is a level of transparency that maybe is not the same as last year. And that's nice to see. I'm not sure if we needed Gazzini to shake the players' hands when they arrived at training today. But you know what? There's a team effort behind the club.
1: I know you're a big Gazzini guy, and I do like him. I think he's done some good things. But is he injecting himself into the footballing side of things, maybe too much at this point that he's he's overcompensating for maybe the degree he was kept away from it and now he's he's overly invested
2: we don't know it's just just not i i, I thought it was interesting <laughs> but you know what i'm all i've sat here earlier and talk, spoke about people depth for how long now right and now we're seeing it we got new coaches and they are they're playing a lead role the narrative was before Wenger did everything now we've got two three coaches heavily involved There's a team of coaches heavily involved. We never saw that before, right? We never saw that before. So they're telling us, this is your new coaching team. This is our manager coaching. He's our first team coach, and this is him coaching. And there's Steve Bold, part of the coaching team. And uh, I just think it's really interesting watching Emory sort of um, establish himself with the group. There was something I picked up on, right? I know everyone's searching for little bits and to try to make wild conclusions. But I just saw a little bit when Emery sort of walked over to the players for the first time. He walked back five yards and he called them over to walk towards him. I thought, oh, that's 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 control, right? He's trying to control them, saying, "I'm in charge. You stand where I want you to stand," and this is how it's going to be from now on. And I'm thinking, that's quietly. I'm thinking that's that's quite interesting from a leadership perspective, how he wants to lead, and uh, we talk about Southgate earlier on very much a major that likes to empower players make a, a club environment international level which absolutely works because if you're going to have players leave their clubs why do they come to an environment that's that's worse than their clubs you need to be relaxed and together but for a club when it's serious when it's business maybe you do need something a little bit more prescriptive a bit more structured to make people be aware where they where they earn their, their main money from right so uh, mm-hmm. It's early days. It's early days. I'm as positive as anybody. A little bit worried that the expectations are growing. If we add a couple more signings, I'll tell you what, they're gonna have to build two stadiums for that first home game, I'll tell you now. There will not. there'll be there'll be people queuing outside for 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 weeks before that game because the expectations are gonna be so high.
1: Well, and it's quite a fixture. <laughs> so you know, good luck. I, I think you know what's really interesting, and this is the one thing that I think you have to feel pretty good about. Mesut Ozil's World Cup is over. Aubameyang didn't yeah. go. Lacazette didn't go. Um, uh, Ramsey didn't go. Shaka is out. Although you know he went reasonably deep, but he's out. It's done. You know, Torreira, if he signs, obviously he's he's still in it. But you go up and down the list, and we don't have a lot of players. Uh, still at the World Cup and most of our key players didn't even go to the World Cup and then you look at United and in particular City and Spurs of course and Liverpool to some extent and they all have key players that are still in the World Cup and poised to go very deep and you know City on opening day probably not going to have Gabriel Jesus probably not going to have Sterling you know, it's, a, it's certainly a possibility. I mean, maybe they will. You know, it depends when these guys get back, how how much time they want. We know that with Arsene Wenger, he was very, very conservative about bringing guys back after international tournaments. Maybe Pep won't be as conservative. Sure. But, I, I mean, that is where our advantage is early in the season with these players who have now a full preseason, something we haven't really had in a while, especially when Alexis Sanchez was there, and it seemed like he was always playing international football until into August um, so it, it does make a big change. I mean, do you think that advantage could be really telling at the start of the season, especially with with uh, City and Chelsea first up?
2: Yeah, I think I'm, I'm one of these fans you know, that loves preseason. I I, I generally love those games. I always, I always go to the Emirates Cup games. I always try to catch a game preseason. And people say, why do you bother? You don't learn anything. Well, I think you learn a lot. You learn a lot about what they're trying to achieve. You can hear a bit more. You can see how players come back, what shape they're in, and I think pre-season is going to be huge this year because we are going to see a lot of our first-team players out there. So and we are looking for to see what formation we're going to play, are we going to play 4 3 we've just seen Torreira playing a diamond, I love a diamond, 4 diamond 2 would that work for us? Are we gonna play four three three? We just don't know what we're gonna see, Other people are making huge conclusions, right? But but then if you go to if you do get past the first two games and just imagine if they are positive, we're off and running. We really are, because we get more and more players back like everybody else. We get more and more players back to sort of peak fitness. And the next stretch of games after the first two games are, are quite decent. So those first two games are huge. They really are. If we come out of there with, you know, with a positive points, we are going to really set the cat amongst the pigeons, and it's going to be interesting. So lots of if buts, and maybes. But yeah, I don't think I've looked forward to a first game of season more than this one ever.
1: Oh yeah, I uh, mean that's for sure. I, I I wonder, you know, I mean it's also easy too to to look and say, oh, all we've signed is a backup right back, uh, you know, an aging centre back, a backup goalkeeper. I mean. Certainly signing Torero would be a monster step in the right direction, but it's easy to forget, too. We made two fairly enormous, not just fairly enormous, enormous moves in January, and I think to some extent that has to be credited towards the summer. I mean, we signed one of the best center forwards in Europe, and we got a a great playmaking, goal-scoring forward, uh, admittedly swapped for another fantastic player, but maybe got the better end of that deal in terms of trajectory uh, of performances. But so those moves almost have to be counted towards this summer in terms of turning over the squad. And so we are in good position. I guess the question that kind of hangs over it all, Clive, and we can start to wrap up with this, but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: no real news on Aaron Ramsey. And I think the perception is if he doesn't sign, he'll be sold. Do you think that Torreira could potentially, unfortunately, instead of being an addition to the midfield, be a swap? Not not a direct swap, obviously, but you know what I mean. He comes in and Ramsey goes...
2: No, I think um, you know. I just got a feeling man's going to stay. I, I, I just think he's going to stay. Um, I, I just, okay, I just see somebody that wants to be in a different environment, and we, we've now got a different environment, and he's going to be a lead player in that environment. Um, you know, I don't hang on to players in my mind. If he was to go, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't concern me because we'd, we'd replace him and we'd, we'd use those funds. But I think he's going to stay. I don't see a massive market for him out there. I heard James talk about a number of clubs that are looking out for him. I haven't seen it. I haven't read it. That means those clubs know that he's pretty comfortable at Arsenal, he's just negotiating. and um, His agent's back from holiday now, I heard, and they're now pushing on with those negotiations. There's five weeks till the transfer window ends, as it ends earlier in the, in the UK now because of the Premier League has agreed to end it before the season starts so that means we've got a couple of weeks to really work this out and then if not he needs to be moved on he needs to be replaced so um, next week or so we are got to find out right and uh, I'm pretty relaxed about it um, if he stays great I think it's more important that we use him properly I think that's the most important thing and he understands what role he has to play in the team less freestyle more structure for me and and let's use the talents that he has got, and let's not overplay him. work again. Let's make sure that we use players like maitland Niles to potential. Give him those time, that time off, and we wouldn't have said that a year ago. But that, that boy's moving on. And I think well, one of the things I'm really looking forward to actually is is some of the younger players who who are I can see physically changing in front of our eyes. They're just you know Eddie and Ketcher, for example, He's just changing physically, growing in confidence. You know, if he gets a chance preseason, he, let's see what he can do. Right? So, um, so that's gonna be. I think the unknowns are gonna be the interesting piece, and there's so much unknown this season. Hence why the excitement is so high.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm sorry, but a new manager, a lot to be excited about. You're in London. You're at a, still at a big club, and to look and see Aubameyang and Lacazette, and Mkhitaryan, and Mesut Ozil, and realize like there's gonna be a lot of opportunity to score goals, to get assists, to play some dynamic football. I just don't know where Ramsey's going to go, where he's going to be in a better situation. Um, You know, don't get me wrong, there are clubs in better situations, but I don't know that they're in for him. So, you know, I do hope he stays. I I think the other thing is much like Mesodozo, Aaron Ramsey is an enigmatic talent in the sense that he is supremely talented. I, I think people underestimate just what a talented player he is. But I say enigmatic in that how you get the best out of him in a functioning system, in a coherent system, is unclear. And I don't know that Arson ever solved that problem completely. So, you know, Emre has two real challenges on his hands, I think, in those two players. Two really yeah. uh, mercurial talents in Ramsey and Ozil that need to be deployed in a way that makes the team play cohesively but also does not lose the benefits of, of their very unique talents. So we'll see how that goes. Agreed. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, that, that's what he's here for. He's hes here to take what is, a, I think, a fairly talented uh, group of players and reshape them into just a more coherent unit that can get us back into the top four and who knows, even challenge for the title. So, I mean, I, I think that just about covers it. I don't know that there's much else to say. I guess the only thing I would ask you is, I mean, do you, wide forward is an area that's been pretty clearly a need. I mean, we don't really have a natural winger. Do you have any inclination that we might make a move for a player like that or do you think it'll be purely opportunistic if something maybe falls in our lap or or not at all
2: opportunity for me if something happens i think the player that we obviously let's assume torreira is coming right so that's the center of the pitch sorted out we've got the numbers there we've got different attributes there the player that's really missing for me is we seem to let's just look at socrates as potentially the right center back starter i can't tell you who's going to be the left center back starter is it going to be for panels? If it is, that means he's he's made a step on. And, and if that's the case, I can live with it because I, I think he's going to be fantastic. Or do we need to buy that left-centre back? That's the position that's staring at me and potentially left-back. Again, if we're going to have a new Arsenal, a new dynamic Arsenal, the areas that you look at are full-backs, and you make sure you have fresh full-backs. And I'm not sure that a 32-year-old Monreal, I know we just bought a 34-year-old, but he's got the youth drug, right? He's very energetic. I'm not sure if, if there's a potential to, to potentially lose that player. It wouldn't hurt me again if we're going to bring somebody younger and dynamic in. So, um, again, that's how you change identity of a team, by adding energy, dynamism. And the fullback areas are, are the places that you you could focus on. But left-centre half, for me, is the problem position. We haven't solved it. Chambers is not at left-centre half. Holding plays there, but he'd much prefer to be on the right, in my opinion. Mavaponas plays there. He can do the job. Mustafi's the right-centre half. is left-centre half, but we won't see him until Christmas. So that's the position that's really staying at me that we need to solve.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I think that will do it. I mean, it's a summer edition. We're in preseason training. We don't want to overdo it, pull a muscle, you know, have an early setback. So, We'll call, we'll call time on it right there. But I, I do want to thank everyone for listening. We have a lot of really exciting things planned for the upcoming season. I think uh, it may be one of Arsenal's best seasons in a long time, certainly one of their most interesting, but it will certainly be the best season of the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. So please stick with us. Uh, if you do have it in your heart to give us a five-star review uh, and say nasty things about Tim and Paul uh, and Scott, we would be more than happy for you to do that. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. Please block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And uh, Clive is one you should follow, though. Follow him on Twitter at Clive P A F C. Clive, always a pleasure. Thank you very much, my son. Enjoy it coming home. It's it, coming it home. It wants to be home, and I, I hope I'm you already, enjoy. I'm
2: already. I'm already ironing my outfit for the Saturday session. Can't wait.
1: Fantastic. All right, well, we will, uh, we will definitely come back to you with another pod before the season starts, uh, talk about preseason games or maybe the arrival of Torreira or, you know, Usman Debelli or Mbappe or whoever we sign. It'll be great. In any event, uh, enjoy the football. Enjoy it coming home, and we will talk to you soon. Cheers.